Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Hey, we had a great kickoff service at Sun City this morning, had a record number of people in our new facility. So how about a round of applause for that? God continues to give us opportunities to reach more and more people with a life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We're excited about that. So today we are continuing our series called Pass It On, and it's all about spiritual parenting. Now, when I say spiritual parenting, what I'm talking about are principles that apply to parenting in the home, but also to being a spiritual parent to someone younger than yourself, like the Apostle Paul was to Timothy in the Bible. So if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, Brian, I don't have kids. I don't have grandkids. The reason the next two weeks are going to be really important for you is because what we're talking about are essentially basic relationship skills. I'm just going to be doing it in the context of parent-family type illustrations. So let's start here with a little bit of hope. Would everybody raise your right hand? Okay, raise it up high. We're going to do a little mass confession here. Uh, Some of you grew up Catholic, so you get this, and like this or something, right? Repeat after me, I've messed up. One more time. I've messed up. Good. Okay. There you go. There's the hope. See, the hope is you are not alone. When it comes to parenting, when it comes to relationships, we have all messed up. We all wish we could go back and change things. I'll occasionally ask myself, is there anything that I've done that's going to send my kids into intensive psychotherapy later in life? Okay. So I'm with you. There are things I wish I had done differently as a parent. We've all blown it, so let's just move on and not cry over spilt blood, all right? (laughs) Now, if you missed last Sunday, let me give you just a quick review here, okay? We started by painting a picture of what a healthy youth might look like, and not just a healthy kid, a healthy adult, a healthy human being. And we looked to a spiritual parent in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a letter to his young apprentice, Timothy. And in this letter, Paul laid out five key character traits that he wanted to see his young Timothy, his apprentice, get into his life, okay? These are things that are going to help his young friend navigate his way through a very immoral anti-God culture back in the first century. And they were these, confidence, character, conviction, compassion, and competence. So that's the end game that we're after as we seek to be spiritual parents to the next generation. Now, to get there, I'm talking about 10 biblical action steps that we can take to be stronger spiritual parents. And last week, we began with belief. That is, believing that you can make a difference and what you're doing is important. Presence, spending quality and quantity time with them. And memories, building into their lives through memorable experiences and tradition. So today, we are picking it up at number four. Hey, what else does the next generation need? The next generation needs encouragement. Write that down. They need encouragement. If you're thinking about a specific child or a person that you know in life and you're wondering, do they need encouragement? Here's a little test for you. Take a small mirror and put it right up underneath their nose. And and if you see it fog up a little bit or if they're breathing and you sense that, they need encouragement, all right? It's that simple. I mean, encouragement is just one of the deepest cravings we all have. In all my years of ministry, I have never had anyone say, Brian, stop encouraging me, please. I've had it up to here with your encouragement. And nobody does that. 
Encouragement is food for our soul. We all long for it. And I want you to think back in time with me for just a second. And I want you to imagine that you're walking down a hallway, okay? And on one side of the hallway are the pictures of men and women who have impacted your life in a positive way. They somehow built you up. Maybe they said, I believe in you. They were the cheerleaders in your life. But then on the other side of the hallway are the images of people who said harmful or hurtful things to you, right? And as soon as you see their face, you can remember the words they spoke or the tone in which they spoke them. Their words hurt. They left a mark. And if you're like most people, the negative words are the ones you remember. Am I right? Absolutely, because words hurt. They leave scars. And yet, as a child, we are taught one of the most ridiculous fables ever invented. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but go ahead. Words will never hurt me. Whoever said that was an idiot, okay? It's not true. I would much rather get hit by a stick. Seriously, beat me. I mean, you remember words forever. Maybe that person was never called a worm-kissing doo-doo head, right? I'm still trying to shake that. Our elder board can be so cruel at times. I'm telling you. I'm kidding. All right. All right. The Bible says this in Proverbs 12. Careless words stab like a sword. Why don't you circle careless and stab? Careless words stab like a sword. You know, experience tells us that what the Bible says is true. I was reading about how our brain processes pain. And the essence of the study came down to this, that our brains process emotional pain and physical pain essentially the exact same way. Think about this. That means when I get hit physically, my brain literally says that hurt. And when I have emotional wounds coming in, my brain says that literally hurt. The brain perceives little difference, okay? And just as emotional wounds can hurt, physical wounds can hurt. And just as physical wounds leave scars, emotional wounds leave scars. There's no difference. We all know this, don't we? And yet as parents, sometimes we're careless with our words. We stab with our words. Our words become modifiers in our kids' lives. You know this, okay? Let me explain what I mean by this. A parent will talk about their child and use a modifier over and over about that child. And then guess what? That child ends up growing up to become that modifier. This is my shy daughter, Jill as Jill cowers behind her mom's leg because she's heard that modifier a million times. This is Carlos, my demon child, right? <laughs> Carlos has an evil laugh and sets a palm tree on fire, right? <laughs> I mean, words are powerful and they can either build confidence or destroy hope. So let's get practical, okay? How do you and I become more encouraging people? First of all, let me encourage you to see it and say it positive. When you see things, say it in a positive way. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How much? Not any. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Only what is helpful for building others up. I like that. And really what I'm asking you to do is to catch kids doing things right I mean, if you were to listen to all the words that are spoken in a kid's home or in their life, they're typically negative, right? Why, why did you leave your backpack out, right? Why didn't you put that away? Who left their shoes on the pool table, right? You know, how many times do I have to tell you to put the toilet seat down, right? But, but what if, instead of seeing it and saying it negative, you were to turn that around? What if you were to see it and say it in a positive way? Hey, look, the toilet seat's down. Way to go, Right? Let's throw a party. Here's a cupcake. Light the candles. Let's go. 
right? See it and say it in a positive way. Now, I want you to picture for just a minute, just picture your kids, okay, with a tattoo on their forehead. And for some of you, it's not too difficult to picture maybe, but, <laughs> but this tattoo, it says, encourage me. And every time you see them, that descriptive should be shouting out at you, encourage me, encourage me. If you're not good at this, get good at this. Practice with small things. Hey, you're breathing. That's great. All right, way to go. Right, you're dressed. I love it. Uh, your, your nose ring matches your belt. Whatever. Think of something. And parents, here's the key, okay? Don't expect encouragement back. You know, every once in a while, I will talk to a parent who's not being very encouraging to their kid. And they'll say, well, they never say anything nice to me. You're the parent, Okay. You be the parent, let them be the kid. Here's the deal. The truth is, most kids don't have what I would call the emotional vocabulary to know what to say, to know how to say it. That's why they comprise short little statements like, I hate you. Okay, they, they don't really hate you. They just don't have the emotional vocabulary to know what to say. What they're saying really is, I don't know what to say right now. I'm just really frustrated. I'm really just worked up. And, and I just, those are the only words I know to express my anger and my pain. So see it and say it in a positive way and don't expect anything in return. Second, this is a biggie, say it beyond performance. Now, let me just say this up front. This one is tough. This is tricky. This is advanced stuff. Surface encouragement doesn't have much sticking power. Like, nice shirt, okay? I might remember that my mom liked the shirt next time I go in the closet. That doesn't have much sticking power. Nice haircut, right? not that big a deal. Or, uh, yeah, I went to your tennis tournament. You don't sweat much compared to the other kids on the bench, right? <laughs> That's surface encouragement. And here's what I've observed. Most language directed at kids, it falls into one of two categories, shame-oriented or performance-oriented. And I see all sorts of heads nodding here. I don't even have to explain what I mean by that, do I? Because you grew up in a home where if you did something bad, you got that look, you got those words of shame, but boy, if you did something good, you got the pat on the head of approval. And, and what do these quick fixes of shame or praise do to people? It makes them dependent on other people for how they feel about themselves. That's why this church is filled with adults who are approval addicts. Because you grew up in an environment where it was shame on you, proud of you, shame on you, proud of you. And we all tried to perform to get the proud of you, right? Now, let's face it, kids are going to mess up. They're going to fail a lot. And saying, I'm proud of you when they mess up, that doesn't make much sense. So it's going to take some thinking, right, to figure out how to encourage beyond performance so that we don't raise up a whole other generation of approval addicts, kind of like ourselves. And let me just give you a couple examples. Let's say a kid plays baseball, all right? And that kid, he can either strike out or he can hit a home run. Now, if he hits a home run, we're like, oh, wow, I'm so proud of you. If they strike out, it's like, oh, you know, shame on you. You should have practiced more. And you may think that's a sports illustration. That's a life illustration. I mean, isn't it true that every day of our life, we either strike out or we hit a home run? But what if after that game, regardless of the strikeouts or the home runs, you just simply said, you know what? I love playing or watching you play baseball. That's just one of my favorites. I just love watching you play baseball. That says nothing about strikeouts, singles, doubles, home runs. What is that? That's encouragement beyond performance. I love watching you play baseball. That means I'm going to encourage you regardless of how you perform. And in that, the kid hears, I love you. I believe in you. 
Let's get another practical example. Parents, grandparents, whatever. Uh, let's say a little kid brings you an art project that they worked on. Now you could say to them, whoa, that's really nice job. You're a great artist. And send them on their way with their little approval fix. Or you could say, whoa, tell me how you did that. Tell me how you did that. And then you sit down with them. See, tell me how you did that. That's not getting your approval. It's getting your interest, which is what they really want. And then in that dialogue, they can discover things about themselves, how God created them, how God wired them. Encouragement like that says, I love you and I believe in you regardless of how you perform. So I've got a choice. You've got a choice. We can use careless words that stab or careful words that build up and encourage. Okay, so kids need encouragement. What else does the next generation need? Write this down. Role models. Role models. Good kids have significant adults in their lives who are role models. And you know what? All studies point to this. Doesn't matter if a kid grew up in a Cambodian refugee camp, a housing project in Chicago, or an upper middle class home here in Williamson County. Healthy kids need role models who cheer them on. And there are two types of role models. There are parents as role models, and then there need to be other people, other significant adults as role models in their life. And let's start with the parents as a role model. You know, the number one influencer in a kid's life is the parent. Because kids are watching their parents' beliefs. They're watching their parents' actions. They're watching their parents' values all the time. They're watching how you treat other people, how you talk to other people, how you handle money, how you resolve conflict. Basically, your life is being bugged, okay? You're under surveillance 24-7. Let me just say, you're at great risk of identity theft. And the goal is that they would steal the best parts of your identity, not the worst. And by the way, you're going to have a tough time building those five C's into kids, the confidence, the character, the conviction, the compassion, the competence, if they don't see it in your life. I mean, you can teach those things all day long, but you can only reproduce who you are. Now, under the banner of role models, let me just give you a few things that I think have slipped off of some parents' radars these days. The first one is this, model integrity. Model integrity. Why is it that all studies are showing that cheating is going up in schools these days? Is it because education is getting more difficult? I don't think so. I think it's because kids are being tutored during their growing up years on how to lie or how to stretch the truth when it becomes uncomfortable, when it becomes inconvenient. You know, the phone rings. Tell them I'm not here. I realize that's a totally fictional illustration that you can't identify with at all. Some people do that. Or you take your kids to the movie theater and say, hey, don't say anything about your age because, you know, I don't want to pay an adult price for you because God knows you don't act like an adult, so we shouldn't have to pay adult prices, right? <laughs> I mean, the fabric of our society is woven together with thousands of these tiny little fibs that lead to one big integrity problem. One lie in our culture is that a lie isn't a lie unless you get caught. Lie's not a lie unless you get, well, guess what? Your kids are catching you all the time. To kids, integrity is important. To God, integrity is very important. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased, underline pleased, you're pleased with integrity. God loves people of integrity. Let me give you some advice. When you blow it with integrity, and you will, every one of us will, when you blow it with integrity, apologize to your kids. You know, an apology is an act of integrity. 
son, last night at the movie theater, man, I did something really wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back and pay the difference. Sweetheart, uh, yesterday I, when I missed your game, you know, the reason I missed it is because I said yes to somebody at work. And by saying yes to them, I had to say no to you. And I realized right now that that was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Your kids know that you're not perfect, but you know what they'd love for you to admit it every once in a while? I mean, my wife is sitting right here. She knows I would often apologize to my kids about this, that, or the other. Mostly kids, I apologize that our gene pool doesn't have a deep end. Sorry. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Okay, here's another thing. How about model deepening your faith? When I say deepening your faith, I'm not talking about just showing up to church on Sunday. I'm not talking about hanging a picture of Jesus above your fireplace. Okay, the Bible is very clear that as parents, we are to pass on the baton of faith to our children. Look at this classic passage from Deuteronomy 6. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. And watch this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Parents, your calling is for Jesus to be such a part of your life that you're teaching spiritual truth to your children day in and day out. But unless you're modeling that kind of faith, it just becomes kind of phony, inauthentic. And just let me give a kind of an aside here. Every once in a while, I will hear a parent say something along the lines of, well, I don't want to impose my faith on my children. I want them to decide for themselves. And that's when I want to smack parents, not, not in a hurtful way, just upside the back of the head to get their attention. I mean, do you know how crazy that sounds? You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like to me, I don't want to impose on my kids that cocaine or killing is wrong, right? I just want them to figure that out for themselves, right? What? And by the way, you can't impose your faith on your kids, they have their own life, their own minds, their own God-given free will, and ultimately everybody chooses for themselves their relationship with God. Nobody can take that away. You know, and I, and I understand, uh, you know, kids oftentimes don't want to go to church. I'm a pastor. There are times I don't want to go to church, all right? <laughs> I get that. But there's a much better chance that your kid is going to make a connection with God while he or she is being forced to go to church than staying at home and sleeping in. Much better chance. And, and you know what they'll get if you bring them to church? They're going to get other significant role models. Remember I said there's two types of role models. There are parents as role models and others. Every kid needs other people to fill the gap. You're not supposed to do this entirely on your own, parents. They need other significant role models. One of the things I love about Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown, why it made such an impact on my family is because there were many, many adults, men and women, who invested big time in the lives of my boys when they were growing up here. I'm forever grateful for that. And by the way, we have adults back there right now waiting to invest in your kids or your grandkids. So get them back in that children's wing. So, so important. So what do kids need? They need encouragement. They need role models. The next big thing they need is discipline. Now I realize this is not the funnest thing to talk about, but kids need discipline. They need boundaries. And as my kids move to different ages, they needed different types of discipline. And, and to this day, I've got to admit, I don't have this whole discipline thing wired. 
But what I do know about discipline is what I've learned from the Bible. And that is, first of all, that biblical discipline is guidance, not punishment. Biblical discipline is guidance, not punishment. Meaning this, love must accompany discipline. Matter of fact, the Bible says you can't have love without discipline. Proverbs 3 says this, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Love and discipline, they go hand in hand. You know, when you see a kid who's out of control, you usually think, where's his parent, right? What happened there? Now, again, there are exceptions to every rule. I know kids who are out of control and have the best parents in the world, but for the most part, kids growing up without discipline, they become a disgrace to their parents. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. What do kids need? They need discipline. Okay, let's get practical once again. First of all, when you discipline, right, be, be delicate, be delicate. I think discipline must be done with caution. You know, bodies are fragile, spirits are even more fragile. Ephesians 6 says, Now a word to you, parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Now you want to make your kids angry and resentful so they turn away from you? Here's the ingredient. Operate in extremes. Right? Either discipline intensely, yelling and screaming, or have no discipline at all. Either one of those will do it. And parents, when you discipline, please hear me on this, don't discipline in anger. Don't ever discipline in anger. Let me tell you what happens when you discipline in anger. You create angry kids, as well as humiliation, embarrassment, potentially violence. When you discipline in anger, yelling and screaming, the kid doesn't hear what you're saying. They hear your spirit. And when you lose control, they lose respect. And ultimately, they'll lose control too. You know, there's an old saying based on a verse in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Unfortunately, over the years, that's been used as kind of a license to, to beat kids. Can, can I tell you the context in which a rod was used in the Bible? Do you know this? A shepherd would use his rod to guide his sheep, to make sure the sheep stayed on the right path, to make sure they didn't wander into the wolf's den. That's why David says in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they what? They comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't spank. I'm not saying there's not a time for spanking. I'm just saying be delicate. The second thing when it comes to discipline is be wise. Be smart, okay? My dad, he spanked me, all right? He had a very interesting approach, though. I thought it was wise. He would say to me, Brian, go get me something to spank you with. <laughs> and I learned that the longer I waited, the more he cooled down. <laughs> that was very wise, actually. <laughs> and I would eventually come back <clears throat> a few days later, right, <clears throat> carrying a pillow. <laughs> I'm kidding. But what I'm saying to you is, is think through your discipline. Please, please, please think through your words before you say them. If you hit your brother one more time, I'm going to smack you. Right? I mean, how's that for logic? <laughs> what does that even mean? That if you're bigger and in control, then hitting's okay? I mean, you can stop behavior in the moment, right, with yelling and smacking. But what are you really teaching? What are you really communicating? Biblical discipline 
is guidance, not punishment. All right, so there you have it. Last week, we talked about belief, presence, and memories as three key actions that kids need from spiritual parents. This week, we contributed a few more. We talked about encouragement, role models, and discipline. Now, there's one thing you need to remember when it comes to all six of these. Every child is different. Please hear me on this. Every child is different. That's God's sense of humor, okay? Yeah. I mean, one kid comes out with a smile on her face and a rose in her mouth and totally compliant. Yes, Daddy, whatever you want, I'm happy to. Right? And then the other kid comes out with kind of a smirk on her face, a cigarette in her mouth, right? Look in her eyes and says, the next 17 years are going to be rough. I'm going to push you every day. Just try to discipline me. Go ahead, make my day. Right? The truth is, every child has a heart and a personality that's uniquely shaped by God. That's why there's not one cookie-cutter formula to parenting in the Bible. There just isn't. And, and there are going to be times as a parent when you feel absolutely inadequate. So here's the big idea. I'm insufficient, but God is more than sufficient. I'm insufficient as a parent on my own, but the good news is God is more than sufficient to help me achieve these things. And next week, I've got some more good news for you, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that in spite of the complexities of parenting, in spite of the fact that every child has to be raised up in his or her own way, that you have given us great principles in your word. I pray that as the older generations, building into younger generations, that we would believe we can make a difference, that we'd be present for those who are growing up in this challenging world and that we would build memories into their lives that are good. As we talked about today, I, I pray that we would be encouragers. Just seems like even thinking back over our own lives, we remember all the negative things that are said. And people just can't get enough encouragement. And God, would you teach us how to do that in a positive way? Teach us how to do that beyond performance. That is so difficult. It's so easy for us to praise the achievements and not the individual. And as role models, I pray that we would model integrity. We would model faith and godliness. And when it comes to discipline, Lord, that we would remember that the goal is not simply punishment. The goal is guidance. Help us not to discipline harshly, not in anger, but to use great wisdom as we discipline. So God, in each of these areas, we acknowledge to you that we are so, so inadequate, but we thank you that you are more than adequate. You are more than able to fill in the gaps for our insufficiencies. And you're willing to do that through the power of your spirit. And so we lean on you and we pray that as we apply these six principles and talk about four more next week, that they would become a part of our lives. Whether we're building into kids or grandkids or just somebody younger than ourselves. And help us to do this for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.